Welcome to My Ed Expert, specializing in what's possible in education. By merging research, practice, and passion, we provide insights from top educational thought leaders for right now implementation. Now, here's your host, author Susie Pepper Rollins. Hi there. So glad you joined us. It is hard to find a topic that's more relevant than the Kotak classroom. When things are working well, it can be such a rewarding experience for educators and learners, but it can also bring challenges. That's why we have a top expert and author today with us, Toby Carton. She's going to help us navigate those sometimes choppy waters. So three things to know about Toby Carton. She's an exemplary educator. She was uh, Teacher of the Year twice, two, two Teacher of the Year awards. She's an expert in the inclusion model, a consultant, a professor, a staff developer, She has a book for ASCD that I love called Building on the Strengths of Students with Special Needs, How to Move Beyond Disability Labels in the Classroom. And she has uh, something she's written for ASCD called Inclusion Do's and Don'ts. So we're going to be talking about do's, don'ts, and do better. So Toby, if you're first, tell us a little bit about what makes you so passionate about this topic and a little bit more about yourself. Uh, Hi, Susie. Pleasure to be here. And uh, I do agree with you. This topic is so relevant and it's not uh, a passing fad that's going away. And I have been in the field of education, specifically special education, since my undergraduate work, which was several decades ago. So it's been a while. But what makes me so passionate about working with students with special needs is that their needs are not so special because when we put them in the inclusive classroom next to their peers, we find that Everything that would work for a child with an IEP or a 504 plan also is beneficial to general education students. And now the lines are kind of blurred. And what makes me so passionate is the fact that I could get an email and I connect with one of my students on LinkedIn. Now that is wonderful. Or a student um, saying thank you to me. Now you mentioned that I was a consultant professor and staff developer. But what I'm most proud of is the fact that uh, for more than two decades, I was an educator in grades K through 12, pre-K through 12. And it's just something that nothing is more rewarding than a student or, or a family member or a colleague saying thank you and collaborating with them. You know, I, I love that. And, you know, I moved not long ago and the, the box that I treasure the most, and I bet every educator can relate to this. I had a box of cards from students and I'll never, I'll never let go of those cards. You know, they just mean the world to me. So, um, one of the things I looked at when I looked at one of the things you've written about do's, don'ts, and we talked about do betters of the inclusion co-taught classroom. I was kind of surprised at your first one. And I want you to talk about that first because I thought, oh, it's going to be about class structure or models or something like that. But it was really about attitude. So could you start with that one for us? Absolutely. And uh, the thing is that it's not just what I believe is going to, you know, trip up inclusive practices from working, but it's what research says. It's attitude. And that attitude is not just teachers, but it has to do with students. It has to do with peers, with and with without disabilities. It has to do with family members. It has to do with, you know, the big umbrella of a willingness and an attitude that says, yes, students with differences can succeed, whether it's dyslexia or dysgraphia or dyscalculia or maybe an emotional, social, behavioral difference or something that we now call autism, you know. But 
the fact is that if you have an attitude that says these children can succeed and I'm going to work backwards, like with a, you know, universal design approach that says, here's my backward design. I want to achieve successful outcomes. I know it's possible. And these are the scaffolding and supports that we can do to make that happen. And that positive attitude is something that has to do with everyone agreeing that you don't have to agree, but don't have a tug of war. And also, you know, acknowledge that, you know, differentiation is going to happen and it's good for all students, you know, not that, uh, well, you know, pass same one size fits all approach or the kids don't belong or they can't succeed because then it's the self-fulfilling prophecy. I'm feeling, I'm feeling motivated by you already. So when, okay. So when I do learning walks, let me ask you a question. I'm in a lot of buildings. Yes. And you, you tell me if you agree with this or not. So when I'm an observer and I'm walking through and I give feedback, oftentimes I'll tell the admin team, I, I couldn't possibly tell you which one was the core teacher, which one was the special education partner. So is that, should it be kind of seamless like that? What are your thoughts on that? Oh, I love that. Uh, yes, it should be seamless. And there are times when you're going to have to share and, and do things, you know, differently. But I think that, you know, sometimes we, we could learn by observing and sometimes we don't know even with coaching teachers, what goes on behind the scenes? Let me give you an example. Um, in my role as a coach now, I walked into a classroom and it looks like, you know, the special ed teacher, um, all she was doing was handing out papers. I'm going, gee, can't she do more than that, you know, from the observer's eye. But then when I spoke to the, you know, the partners together and I call them partners, uh, the gen ed teacher was very certain to say that he couldn't exist without her because those papers she was handing out were differentiated. They looked the same to the observer, but in the planning, she knew which ones had to have, you know, less verbiage, uh, more visuals, different texts, but no one in the class knew. And, and, and I think that when we speak about parity, I think it has to do with, you know, several stages of the um, inclusive planning, whether it's, you know, the planning, the instruction, the assessment, and most important, the uh, um, communication and the reflection. And I, I hate when kids say, you know, I, I was once in early in my career when I was co-teaching, I had a, a child come up to me and said, you know, Mrs. Carton, one day you could be a real teacher, you know? And, uh, you know, I, I, I found that's very amusing at the time. But I, I think that goes for also instructional assistants, everyone, all hands on deck, you know, to divide and conquer, you know? And I think that that's, that's crucial. So I love the fact that you know, you do your walkarounds and you can't tell because they make it seamless. So you mentioned planning and that is a, that's something in buildings that we all need to talk about. I think how important is it that our co-teachers, our partners, as you call them, have regular time to plan together? How important on a scale of one to a hundred, probably a hundred and one. Um, but okay. you know, uh, in the ideal world, um, that doesn't always exist in terms of the scheduling. And, you know, I, I, don't, I never believe in, in inclusive environments or any school environments that we point fingers at everyone and say, the administrators need to do blank. My co-teacher needs to do blank. The students aren't doing blank, but you know, that holding hands is better. So, uh, 
you know, scheduling is a challenge in terms of administrators, in terms of, you know, trying to make it happen. And I think it's important to honor requests and to build in that flex time. But then, you know, we need a broad definition of what planning is. And sometimes that planning could be online. You know, in several of my resources, I have a lot of, you know, online planning forms. Not every line has to be filled in, but I think it's important to know uh, what is going on instead of just that winging it. So, you know, I had one pair of co-teachers who was in a preschool environment and she was upset with her co-teacher because she was absent and she didn't know until she walked into the class and she said, couldn't she just text me? You know, so maybe planning has to do with, uh, you know, remind 101 or maybe planning has to do with, you know, face to face or, you know, uh, tech. Technology is a wonderful way to communicate with each other, whether you create that Google document together, that's, you know, like the Constitution, a living document. And there's also the, uh, you know, let's not forget about the interplanning, you know, because sometimes the best laid plans, you know, get changed. The students are getting it in five minutes when you thought it was going to be 50 or the averse, you know, and, and, and I'm, I'm a firm believer, you know, in the beginning of the school year to map out each course. Quarter, not in, in total detail, but but letting, you know, where, where you think it's going to happen ahead of time. And then from the quarters, take, you know, what's going to happen each month. That becomes your weeks. And then that becomes your, your days. So um, planning is, a cru- is crucial, but we also have to have a broad definition of what that planning looks like and communicate to each other ongoing. Okay, so that's given me a lot of thoughts there. But one thing I was I see in buildings, and this is a tough question, and I don't know if you're going to have an exact answer for this, maybe a little bit of guidance, is particularly when I'm working in uh, secondary, um, I'll see two sort of main ideas for scheduling. So I want you to sort of opine on this. One is where the the um, the special education partner sort of follows the students. So they have a report, they follow them throughout the day. The other one is they sort of specialize in one content. So they'll be in science. So they may not see the same students as frequently, but they know more on the, they get more comfortable with the core. Do you have any guidance on that? You know, in in the ideal world, uh, the special ed teacher would have a rapport with the students and a strong handle on the content, you know, but that doesn't always happen. And you know that. And uh, I think a very important part of it is personality, which is a factor that goes into getting along with your co-teacher. And if you don't have the knowledge of the core subject area, if that's the situation, just like a student would do, ask questions, be responsible, think about yourself as a co-teacher. How are you learning the material? And then spin that into the, you know, how will the students learn the material? Um, in the ideal scenario, I think that, you know, uh, yeah, it's wonderful, especially in the lower grades. If, if you're together at, uh, the, the whole day, isn't that wonderful? But, you know, and I can think of various situations, myself included, where I was in three different grade levels and probably, you know, three different or four different subject areas in a given day. It's hectic. 
it requires juggling, but it also requires a ton of preparation in terms of knowing your students. So even if you, you know, on the secondary level, you're, um, let's say the scenario you gave, you're an expert in the science, in the, you know, whether it's biology, you know, chemistry, whatever it is, that's wonderful. But you also have to be an expert on how the students are going to be learning that subject because it's more than just your knowledge of the curriculum. I think it's also your knowledge on the scaffolding and the supports that are going to help the students to learn that curriculum. And, and together, you know, I think the gen ed teacher also has to be an expert on the students because, you know, reading the IEPs and the strategies, the accommodations, we can't accommodate unless we're privy to that knowledge. So I think it it, it revolves, I think, Susie, what I'm really getting to, it has to do with a lot of communication. And that communication is um, a large pie that gets divided between colleagues and students. In a, in a, really what we're doing though is bringing two beautiful worlds together in some way though, because we have that content person who might have a master's degree in that field and this other person who's highly knowledgeable and skilled in, in serving our students. And it's, it's kind of like we bring those two worlds together, don't we? I love that. And, and I, I like to think of it, you know, like we used to think about the Venn diagram, you know, like special ed, gen ed and the students. But now I like to think of it as like concentric circles where the students are at the core and we're all around supporting, you know. So, so that's even, uh, you know, a better way of, uh, you know, visualizing it. Well, I've had wonderful experiences as uh, in a co-taught classroom, and I, like every other educator, have had some situations that were a little bit challenging. Um, in your experience, what are maybe one or two of the biggest issues you see that we can offer some guidance or that you can offer some guidance to people how we can resolve some of those issues? Yes, I so agree with you, myself included. There are times where I, I wanted the marriage to go on forever because it's been compared to that. And there are definitely times where myself and I've seen others, they definitely wanted an annulment, you know. Um, <laughs> you know, um, I, I think that the big umbrella has to do with respect um, with common classroom ground that says we want positive students' outcomes as our collaborative goals. And I think a united front is the most important. I might disagree with something, whether it's how the curriculum is being taught or the pacing, you know, but in front of the students and other colleagues, I don't uh, point finger at my co-teacher. I will talk to my co-teacher. And perhaps we have to learn how to adapt the course content together. We're going to have to grade together, laugh together. And maybe we also know how to walk away and give each other space together. And, you know, we talk about differentiation of instruction and highlighting strengths. And I think that goes for co-teachers as well. And we have to honor 
just like we honor our students' needs and prior experiences, we have to honor each other in terms of our prior experiences and, you know, to, to reflect and, and think about sometimes, you know, desirability versus feasibility because one person might have their eyes in the sky. Yes, it's good to have a high expectations and goals. And the other person might say, Hey, wait, we need to plant our feet on the ground. So, you know, um, in, in all ways, I think it's very important. And I'll always be Pollyanna looking at the positive here, but to find good qualities in each other, your students, your classrooms, and, you know, exchange roles, you know, and be equal partners in that. And that, you know, it's evolving together and maybe agree to disagree as well, because that's healthy. And that's how you find things that go um, and improve as well. Well, let's talk a little bit about the role of, of leadership. Um, besides doing couples therapy that you somewhat <laughs> referred to, which they've had to do with, with me before, you know, yes, uh, yes. Couples, couples therapy. Um, what, what kinds of things can leaders do in really facilitating success in their schools for co-teaching situations? How can they support the inclusion model? I, I love that. And the, you, the words you use, the verb is facilitating. And um, part of being a facilitator is that you are not the one dictating and disseminating what's going on. But the first role that administrators and, um, you know, need to do is, is listen, observe, hear, communicate. And from there, you want to problem solve. And that problem solving, yes, there are situations, maybe it's, you know, we have to get the family more involved. Maybe the student needs to develop more self-efficacy. Maybe, you know, the the teachers need to uh, plan um, a little bit more in terms of their differentiation with a whole part, whole, you know, approach. But part of that is is coaching. And part of that is saying, what's happening here? How could we do that? And when you coach, um, it, in some ways, um, that's when the administrator will hear and listen and be an advocate, you know, for the staff and the students. And, you know, and, and even though administrators do evaluate, when I go into schools as an inclusion coach, you know, I'm involved with a few different school districts, is that they like the fact that I'm there in a non-evaluative role. I hear, I listen, but I don't give a rubber stamp what everyone needs because I have to know, A, what are the needs, and then we could problem solve. So administrators, they provide, uh, I think the most important thing they provide is encouragement that, you know, it's okay to be at this level of, you know, the co-teaching or the inclusion But here's where you want to go. So what resources might be needed? So maybe it's physical resources that administrators have to provide, whether it's, you know, differentiated uh, math materials or more manipulatives or perhaps, you know, providing uh, text on different lexile levels, you know, or perhaps it's also providing time, you know, like the planning time. How could we build this into the schedule? I've had administrators that go in and watch classes because there are no planning time. And, and they'll they'll be involved. So giving teachers extra time, maybe at faculty meetings, you know, and some of the administrivia could probably be emailed. So even if it's just 20 minutes, that's a solid 20, 
uninterrupted 20 minutes that teachers, co-teachers, and, you know, the collaborative team, multidisciplinary team, maybe related staff providers can also talk to each other. And, um, and then once they hear what's going on, you know, it's, it's providing the professional development that, that's needed. And listening to the staff is an important part of that because we all need to support and respect each other with uh, ongoing philosophy that says, yeah, this is what's happening. And what are the evidence-based practices that we could make it even better, you know? And, and that's the crux of this is staff that are qualified, supported, and prepared with the knowledge because sometimes we don't know what we don't know. And uh, this, that doesn't just go for students, but that's growth, I think, has to be a growth mindset for everyone. I agree. And we have to be to, to tell our leaders what we need, yes. too. I mean... We, we ha- they're listening, but we have to, they're not mind readers. <laughs> you know, we've got to say, hey, we could use some help here. We could use a little bit of help with this. Uh, how do we know if our collaborative classrooms are working from a, from a, my classroom experience, leadership experience? What kinds of measures do we use or what could we look for? Okay, that, that's something that uh, observation is important as, as data. And, and our data, it has many different forms in terms of that. You know, in terms of classroom, you always want to establish that baseline level, whether it's the reading level or the math level, you know, literacy, numeracy, or perhaps it's also social, emotional, behavioral data that's kept as well. And discrete task analysis, this is very important. It's ongoing. And the data could be kept in a composition book. The data could be kept on, you know, uh, different sites, whether you're using um, different apps, you know, whether you're using clickers or you keep data on how students answer multiple choice questions and you keep graphs, or you also keep observational data and anecdotal records and ongoing communication. And I definitely agree with you, you know, we're not mind readers. And, you know, I've had, I've had going to school districts and they say, well, we don't have money for this. We don't have money for that. And I say, well, did you ever think of, you know, um, applying for a grant? You know, there are so many good things out there. And they go, no, we wouldn't get it. And I say, you're absolutely right. If you never apply, you'll never get it. But if you, if you, if you give it your best try and you communicate that you need something, other people will hear you and listen. And I think that goes back to what we started with, Susie, with the attitude that there's always something to make it better. And, you know, I think that we also have to have a mindset that that is evolutionary and we have to take steps as administrators as well to be kind to our staff and to acknowledge the small steps toward the progress. And in collaborative models, if the collaboration isn't present, then you know that very well by just even walking around and getting the pulse of walking into a classroom and you could see the attitude of the students, the pronouns that are used that, you know, outside a classroom, if both teachers' names are there, when a teacher walks in and says, we need, and, and that's done seamlessly because you work together. 
as that team. Um, and, and you communicate to each other and to the related multidisciplinary team of maybe you're going to need extra time to deliver the multi-tiered systems of support. If you're not doing it, how can it be better? And maybe you have to collaborate with subjects or grade levels or administrators. And, and the days of closing your door in special ed are way over. You know, I used to teach self-contained classrooms myself and on the LRE, least restrictive environment, you know, inclusive classrooms are, are the first, gen ed is the first option of service. And then you say, what's the scaffolding and supports that are needed to make it successful? So, you know, one, one of those things is the um, communication and collaboration are essential. And before I forget, if uh, Toby, what is your best contact? Your website is what? Uh, my website is inclusionworkshops.com and my email is toby at inclusionworkshops, that's plural.com. And um, the people who have been in my professional development know I'm kind of nerdy, so I do answer emails. I like to collaborate. So, uh, yeah, that would be my best uh, contact. Okay. And if you don't, if you're driving and listening, you can always go to myatexpert.com, type in Toby, T-O-B-Y-K-A-R-T-E-N. She's got her bio and links to the books and all kinds of great things there. Um, so, what I want to talk about now are really next steps. We're going into our classrooms, our buildings tomorrow. We're listening to the podcast. What's one thing that we could just tomorrow help all of our kids be so much more successful? What would be your one or two things that you'd advise? The one thing that is really important is um, individualization, personalization, and to realize that, yes, we teach subjects, but we teach students first, whether or not they have an IEP. So one important thing to do is uh, get, get an interest and strengths profile going. You know, if you like want to have several, you know, forms out there, you can Google online. There are plenty of them as well. But know what your students like. So sometimes that's the dangling carrot that you need to get them to write a three-paragraph essay. And if your concentration is on sentence structure, you know, it doesn't have to be on whether or not we should wear, wear school uniforms, you know. It could be if the student loves, you know, just saw the movie Black Panther and they love that, you know. That would be something that is, is, is going to have them understand more about, you know, how they like uh, you know, a sports team, or maybe they love dance, or maybe they, um, you know, are interested in, uh, you know, uh, reading or math, or maybe they're not, and they like football. And if they're learning about algebra, you could relate that to gaining and losing yards, you know, so there are ways to make students more involved. So that's the first one is to individualized with personalization. And, and another very important one, too, is to, and I've said this throughout here, is to collaborate and to collaborate with students, to collaborate with families, and to collaborate with your staff, whether you're an administrator, a paraprofessional instructional assistant, co-teacher, or maybe you don't have a co-teacher and you could reach out to the speech and language pathologist for strategies on a student with dyslexia or a student with autism. Maybe the occupational therapist might have some suggestions. And, and like you said, you know, if you don't ask, you don't know, but sometimes have a growth mindset for yourself as well as your students. 
Well, I've been taking notes, uh, so I'm going to uh, I'm going to kind of put my takeaways, and then you chime in because I have like three pages of notes now, Toby. So one thing I'm are you a writer, perhaps, Susie? I know. I I I, I, I do dabble. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so one thing is is to see my coach. We're partners. My co-teacher. We're partners. We're in this together. We're going to respect one another. We're going to communicate with each other on a regular basis and use technology. And one thing I love that you said is sometimes, yeah, it's hard to get that common planning time where we're all together and have this set aside. But planning can be, and can we can use technology. We can, we can text each other. We can talk to each other. We can email each other. We can, you know, be on social media together, uh, to, to make sure that we're on the same page when we come in. And then, of course, I love just, in, you know, loving our kids, you know, individualizing, personalizing, getting to know them. I did something in a building once that you were reminded me of this when you were talking. We did questionnaires on what you like to read. Teachers took them, students took them in the whole building. And then we paired everybody up. Like, I like to have graphic novels. You like this, you like that. Just to have, I love that interest survey you talked about, you know, just to get to know each other, my co-teacher, get to know our kids better. Those are my takeaways. What do you want to add to my list, Toby? I think your list is wonderful. The only thing that I might add to it is my inclusion pie, where I uh, have this in inclusion do's, don'ts, and do betters. And the five ingredients are the evidence-based practice, the specially designed instruction, collaborative practices, administrative supports, and last but not least, the largest piece of the pie, attitude, a positive attitude to support each other. And well, you've given me, I'm sorry. I say I'm so positive that I talked over you. I'm so excited (laughs) talking to you. I feel ready to go. So I want to thank you for everything, for joining us today, for all your work you do with kids. I want to thank every educator for opening doors every single day for your kids. You're the reason that so many possibilities are out there for our children. We want to thank everybody for joining us today. So thank you so much, Toby. Thank you so much, Susie. Love the collaboration. And uh, I think, you know, a quote by Jackie Robinson, uh, you know, just to the fact that a life is not important to we make a difference in other people's lives. And, you know, not demeaning other professions, but I love the field of education for that reason. Thank you. We are so glad you joined us on this episode of My Ed Expert. For more resources on the ever-evolving realm of education, head on over to myedexpert.com and get inspired by all of our authors' work through downloads, strategies, and best practices. While you're there, hop on to get updates right to your inbox because you don't want to miss a thing right here on My Ed Expert.